Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Quentin with The Greatest Show on Dirt, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios, the world headquarters, Q-Dog, a.k.a. the Pop-Tart King of the South. Listen, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. It's very much appreciated. This is another episode of our guest series, which has been so fun. I've learned so much from different people in their baseball stories. So everybody that's been on the podcast so far, thank you so much. And of course, thanks to everybody that, you know, participates in the Instagram, the community that everybody that, you know, you know, participates in the Instagram and leaves comments and shares stuff. I mean, sharing their stories is just an amazing time. And this episode was no different. So Shane Barclay, that's who's on this episode you're about to listen to, and he runs this thing called Japan Ball. You can go to japanball.com and find out more about it, or you can just listen to this podcast. But what he does is he blends baseball and travel. He believes that the best way to experience a foreign culture is through a sporting event, and I couldn't agree more. He he organizes tours, and he takes people. He tours them himself because he knows it all. And he takes folks to Japan, the Dominican Republic, South Korea, throughout Europe, and takes people on tours of the area centered around baseball, which is an awesome thing because if you're a baseball fan but you love travel, this is amazing. And, you know, he talks a lot about he, – he says it on his website that the best way to experience a foreign culture is by attending a sporting event. And I think that's such a great idea because, you know, if you think about it, you know, when we go to baseball games, it's really easy – to enjoy a baseball game with people you don't know because it's this it's this common denominator. It's a shared experience that we've all experienced, and it gives us an opportunity to share it with other people that we don't know. I'm not good at explaining this, but Shane, listen, was a sweetheart of a guy. This was a phenomenal, fun episode to do. He's One of the things I liked about it most is Shane's a guy that truly loves the game, and you can hear it in his voice, and that's what I love more than anything. Like baseball to me, especially as I get older and have a family, it it centers around love, love for the game, love for the people that I'm around, love for my family and friends. And that's what Shane does, you know, so his company in itself is centered around love, uh, love of the game, love of foreign cultures, love of just, you know, fellowship and community and coming together. And he does that through Japan Ball, the organization that he runs. I mean, it's just crazy. Like he he does. He not only like takes you to the ballparks and like big landmarks, but like his tours of the Dominican, like he'll take folks to like Rocky sand lots with cows grazing the field um, to like the academies of MLB teams and then winter league games as well, which apparently are absolutely wild in the Dominican. He's got a lot of great stories and is a sweetheart of a dude. So let's get into Shane's interview. But before we do, let's talk about Hood Hat, which is the sponsor for this episode. Listen, I'm so excited to be working with Hood Hat, not because they are just the sponsor on the podcast, but Max, the guy that runs the company, me and him are buddies now. Like He's truly a great guy. And in this day and age, you know, with so many people, you know, starting businesses and doing things themselves, it's really nice to give your money to somebody that you trust and somebody that does it the right way. And that's what Max does. So he builds all of his caps in New York, which is awesome. So I love I love that they're built locally. And also, they're built out of 100% merino wool. So the build quality, the feel on your head is off the charts. The color of these hats, it absolutely pops. And his motto for hood hat is never leave it behind. So the hats have a nostalgic feel to them that are really driven by the neighborhoods that we grew up in, right? So my Cincinnati Reds hat doesn't say Cincinnati Reds on it. It says Riverfront on it. And the same with my Pirates hat. It says Three Rivers. 
And I love thinking about those old concrete donuts because it reminds me of just being a kid on a Saturday morning eating a bowl of cookie crisp and, you know, watching This Week in Baseball on my parents' big old console TV. And that's why I love his hat so much is because they mean more. You know, because when we think about baseball, it's never just about the game, but it's about our experiences that we had. And a lot of times, you know, experiences that we had growing up with friends, family, you know, our parents playing catch with us after they'd busted their ass on, you know, working all day long. And that's sort of what Hood Hat means to me, you know, because Max, the guy that runs the show, he's a sweetheart of a dude. And he's about our age. I think he's 41 and I'm 37. So, you know, us guys in that range that sort of, you know, had our, you know, growing up years like in the 80s, it was such a special time. And, you know, it's that he he built his hats out of love and meaning and nostalgia. And that's really what I like the most. So check him out. You can go to his website at hoodhat.com or check him out on Instagram at hoodhatusa and check out his hats. And, you know, if you want a hat that's definitely meaningful, that, you know, makes you think a little bit differently, you know, throughout your day and sort of takes you back using this time machine that's called baseball or whatever sport you watch the most. I mean, because his hats aren't really just centered around baseball, but just various neighborhoods, various sports and things like that. And his, his hats are a really good time machine that just make you feel good. So check him out and let's get to Shane's interview. Hey, what's up, everybody? No Greatest show on dirt. Coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studio. I've got Shane Barclay. That's our guest for the show, japanball.com, right? That's right. Hey, Quentin. Good to be here. Listen, this I'm really excited for this podcast because you do something that's really big and really important, and that is combining baseball and culture. And that, to me, is huge because... As a baseball fan, we all get that baseball is so much bigger than the actual game, right? Like, I'm not a pro baseball player, you're not, and so many of us aren't, right? So, we were able to love the game and follow it so much. Partly, a huge part of it is sort of like the impact it has on our lives beyond the field. So, in a quick sentence, so I don't mess it up, tell us what you do. <laughs> I'll do my best in a, in a short <laughs> sentence, but you, right you cheated up really well for me. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like, <clears throat> what we do is uh, we, first of all, lead tours to other countries, Japan specifically, but other countries as well, um, to learn about new cultures and and uh, watch baseball games. So, you know, that at our core, that's what we do. We also uh, try to. Uh, create and disseminate info about the Japanese game in the English language to try to get, um, you know, American fans or just fans around the world uh, to uh, to have the opportunity to learn about the Japanese version of the game, which is a whole, you know, the game is familiar in, in most ways. You know, the field looks the same. The rules are the same. Um, but the culture around it, as you kind of alluded to, is completely different. So within it and, and uh, in the stands as well. So, um, it's really about kind of bringing people together um, to learn about new cultures, to uh, unite people who are from different countries. And, you know, even people who come with us on our tours from different parts of the U.S. or, or around the world, um, you know, bringing people together through this kind of shared love of baseball and, and a shared uh, mindset of adventure and curiosity. See, that's what I love. Like, you talk about uniting people, and I think that is so awesome, you know, because, 
like that's sort of the thing that just advances life, you know, connecting with people on a deeper level and being able to do these things and share, you know, new experiences in our lives. And to be able to wrap that around baseball, you've got a quote. I mean, I can't even think of all the things I want to say to you. Because what you're doing, like, works on two levels, right? Like, there's the bringing people together around baseball, which we all love. And that, to me, is so important. You know, when you talk about sharing the game and just life in general with family and friends, you know, that's sort of why I started the podcast. And Mm -hmm. I'm having listeners like you on here. Like, I'm incredibly thankful that you're on here, first of all. And it's because, like, I love to talk about the game to people, but not just about the game, but, you know, to sort of, again, when you said unite, you know, it unites people that know each other and don't know each other. And it helps us, you know, as human beings to bond on a deeper level. And so you're doing that, but also you're educating people on how the game's played outside of the United States. Now I have to be careful because I could talk to you for five hours and we could turn (laughs) this into a Ken Burns documentary. But one of the things you say, I, I pulled two quotes from your website that I absolutely loved. The first one is we at Japan Ball, again, that's japanball.com. If you haven't checked it out and you're listening to this podcast, do it. Um, we at Japan Ball believe the best way to experience a foreign culture is by attending a sporting event. And listen, I thought about that for a second and I was like, listen, if I'm back up north in Illinois and I go to a Cubs game, and someone sees me with my shirt off getting drunk in the bleachers and all of a sudden I'm sleeping on a futon by a dumpster behind a 7-Eleven. Like, that's one way to experience the vent. But also, like, jokes aside, that's a huge deal, right? Like, when my wife and I ever travel, you know, we're not really, like, resort people. Like, we want to get out there and experience the culture, you know? And in a way, that's sort of what you're doing, right? Like, in a sense, if I'm falling asleep on a futon behind a 7-Eleven, right? Like I'm in the weeds and I'm really enjoying life in the game. And that's what you're doing. The best way to experience a foreign culture is by attending a sporting event. I mean, I imagine the people that book through you must absolutely love it. I, it's like it's like I told you to pick that quote because out of all the content on our site, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, because, uh, I mean, I just to get into it, so let's say you're in Japan, for example, easy example. Um, actually, let's just turn around because you're talking about going to a Cubs game. Let's say someone from Japan is coming to the U.S. Absolutely. Right? And, and you are um, wanting to get an authentic experience. You know, that's what travelers are always looking for. And you're looking at the guidebooks and there's kind of the same, you know, you can do the architectural tour in Chicago. You can go along Lake Michigan and uh, do the things that everyone knows about. Um, but the, oftentimes guidebooks don't tell you to go to a sporting event unless, you know, maybe you're at like, I don't know, Barcelona for soccer or, or you know, Yankee Stadium maybe. But you go to a – if you're a foreigner, first of all, it's easy to get there, right? Like in Chicago, you can take the L. You can take, you know, a car. Everyone knows where it is. You can ask, yeah. hey, where's Wrigley Field, right? And, and you're going to find your way. Even if you don't speak the language, you can find your way. Right. And then you go, you get to the game and it's just a cross section of Chicago. Right. You're having, you know, the the guys in the bleachers, of course. Um, But then you have, you know, the kind of businessmen who are there on on, uh, you know, with their suites or whatever or in the nice seats and and, 
um, and everywhere in between. And so you're really getting a cross section of the, of the local community. And then most importantly, everyone has their guard down, especially in Chicago. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and they're going to be welcoming. You're going to, they're going to say, Hey, you know, you're, you're from Japan. Like, what are you doing here? You know, and they're going to be welcoming. They think it's so cool that someone is at their team's ballpark. And, um, and then of course there's the food and drink experience, which is a uniquely, uh, you know, regional and cultural thing. So, you know, I just flipped it around for Chicago, but of course the same thing applies to Japan. If you're an American, um, or any other country, um, whether they play baseball or not, like you can find your way to the stadium. People are going to be welcoming. Um, people are going to, you're going to see a good cross section of the local community and everyone's going to have the guard down and, and be happy to see you there. So that's why I think it's, the best way to experience a new country uh you know maybe short of if you can like stay with someone who lives there and like stay in their home maybe i don't really count that because that's kind of hard to to, to uh, find on your own but <laughs> yeah like, i've done that like a homestay before and it's like okay maybe that takes number one number two i'll say a sporting event <laughs> yeah to stay at someone's house like that would be huge especially like out of a country you know like in a new country like that would be amazing if i lived in a baseball town right now because i'm back down in south carolina i would let people stay at my house all day and we could drink and watch cubs games right but one of the the things like so you're talking about people letting their guard down and that's what i love the most right like when you go to a sporting event right especially a baseball game because a baseball game there's not a clock there's not a timer. There's not like intermissions. Like baseball just sort of goes and you never know when it's going to end. And it's more of like a leisure thing. Like you could watch a baseball game and have a conversation like in between pitches and stuff like that. And I remember mm-hmm. I, my wife and I went to the Oakland Coliseum to watch an A's Rangers game like three years ago. She was out there for business and I snuck in her suitcase. And it was <laughs> one of the homiest places I've ever been to to watch a baseball game because everybody was so kind and talkative and just energetic about what was happening and in a world where like everything is like electronic and you know you've got like social media and things like that it's really changed the way people communicate but to be able to find any avenue to break down those walls and essentially like get back to like our letter writing days, you know, like having a face-to-face conversation with somebody. I love screens, right? I wouldn't know half the stuff I know if it wasn't for them, but I do like the idea of creating something to let a guard down to be able to enjoy life. And what's so awesome about what you do is it allows people to do that through baseball. And I really love it because I think that, you know, like I'm 37 right now and how old are you? 34. 34. Okay. And I always feel like as we get older, it's sort of more important than ever to find those meaningful experiences because we're so far past high school and so far past college. We're sort of past all of those like automatic ways to like get to know people. And I love that portion about it is just letting your guard down because I think it lets people, you know, renew their love for baseball by viewing it through a different lens, but at the same time, letting their guard down and building relationships with, uh, you know, cities and people and, you know, their family, whoever they travel with. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, I think I, if I'm at a game, you know, I'm having a, a beer or two, I'm, you, you're looking around between, like you said, the, the pace of the game lends itself to camaraderie. And uh, you're looking around at the stands, you notice someone has a jersey of a player, that you liked from back in the day or 
a cool hat and then like you just start talking to people you know and and everyone's relaxed they're happy to be there you know as soon as you arrive to the ballpark even if it's traffic and whatever you had a bad day like as soon as you're there it's like everyone's just is happy to be there and, and in japan like it's a you know to speak in general terms like japanese people are a little more reserved they're extremely nice and accommodating and welcoming mm-hmm. um but you know they have they're a little more reserved and like have their guard up a little bit on initial interaction, but at the ballpark, it's not like that at all. And, and I think that applies to anyone, you know, like whether, whatever country you're in, you know, if you're the type of person who maybe keeps themselves, I feel like if you're at a sporting event, a uh, ball game, uh, you know, you, you, you feel comfortable in your own shoes a little more and, and you, you want to talk to your neighbor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like everybody can come together and sort of yell at an umpire if you have to, you know, and it's a good thing. And you talk about like, you know, you know, drinking a beer and the food, you know, like ballpark food. Like to me, food and drink is very nostalgic. And like Mm -hmm. my wife and I took a trip to Iceland, I think three or four years ago. And I just think of the food we had, we were there in the drinks we had. And even back, you know, when we were kids, like I would always watch baseball games with my grandpa and drink a Barg's root beer and eat bugles. And like, even to this day, I'm like, man, like I love those things because I can tie that in. It's like a good song, you know, like if I'm listening to like white snake or Motley Crue, right. It reminds me of being a little kid and like music and food. I feel like are two of like, you know, those are like tie-ins to like the whole experience that, you know, that can really like put you in a time machine and take you back and give you all these good memories, but at the same time, create them. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, lots of times I'll go to a game and I'll be tempted to bring, you know, bring a sandwich, bring something yeah. into the park because it's so expensive. But then I just find myself saying, ah, <laughs> I'd rather I'll pay for the trip to Nostal. You know, I'll pay yeah. $9 for the hot dog or whatever, because you know, it just feels right. And, um, yeah, I, I hear you, man, the, the ballpark food. And, um, and that's a cool thing about traveling around the world with baseball is everyone has their own ballpark food and, um, you kind of can create a new memory. You know, I went to Iceland too. I ate some, some awesome stuff. And oh. I don't know. I confirmed that it was not an endangered type of whale, but we had whale steaks. In that's Iceland. way more um, <laughs> crazy than anything I had. Wow. Um, whale steaks but, you know, who did i who do yeah, i have on this it, podcast it right good. now man unbelievable yeah i might i don't know i hope we don't get canceled i'm not sure you know i checked with them i said are you sure this is okay they said it was so i, I believe them but um but yeah i mean i love the adventurous food things and it's kind of cool at, at big league ballparks in the u.s like they're getting more adventurous but you know it's always easy to just go back to that fake nacho cheese and and hot dogs and whatnot you know you can't really go wrong Dude, yeah, whale steaks, man. I'm about to ask you for like some hand grenades or something after this podcast. So just give me your list of stuff that you got the hookup on. (laughs) But listen, if you want to talk about food, I could go all day, but it's a baseball podcast. Listen, so I need to know, I'm very interested in the baseball experience in Japan. So you hinted a little bit, you know, a few minutes ago about like, you know, how the culture, like it's a little bit reserved. But at the stadiums, like, it's completely wild, right? And what little I think I know of Japanese baseball, they're very into it. Like, it's sort of like a soccer game, right? Like, it's a big deal, and they're loud. Yes. Yeah, that's all accurate. The there, So, a good analogy, I mean, there's a lot of different analogies. You can use a soccer game with the energy and, and kind of the festive um, atmosphere and, and the music and whatnot. Um, another good 
analogy is a college football game because you'll have the oh, yeah. you know in a college sports you have the student section that is leading the cheers um and in japanese baseball they have the oendan which is the official cheering section okay. and um the oendan is the one that is they're on their feet they every single player on the team every batter in the lineup has his own personal song with lyrics and percussion nice. and and horns <laughs> like a professional um, wrestler that's awesome yeah, exactly. So when they're up, that, that song, you know, the Oendon is leading and the rest, most of the rest of the stadium is all joining in um, and singing that player's song. And uh, they're, you know, 27 outs. It doesn't matter the score. It doesn't matter what place the team is in. Like they really view themselves, um, you know, the, the fans in general, not just the Oendon, view themselves as an essential uh, part of the team. You know, they're doing their part um, to uh, to help the team and in, in like the, the loyalty um they, they they expected the players they also expected themselves as far as like you know like i said 27 outs um in, in every game of the year um they're going hard and and they're yelling and they're putting a lot of emotion and energy into it and it gets hot japan is like a tropical climate in, in the summertime oh, okay they have some indoor ballparks but um the outdoor ones you know it's it's hot and humid probably not too different than games in the midwest here and uh, they're on their feet, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're jumping. Um, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. That's definitely the first thing that any uh, person who's new to Japanese baseball will notice is uh, the energy of the fans. And um, it, it, yeah, that's probably, the, that's my favorite part. I think anyone um, who goes probably would say that's their favorite part, um, of, at least that what's unique to Japanese baseball. Oh, yeah. Like, I always... I, to, like when a, when you watch a baseball game on TV today, at least this is something I think I possibly notice versus like watching a game in the 80s. Like older games, I guess the sound technology wasn't as good, so you could hear a lot more crowd noise versus today's mm-hmm. technology. I think a lot of that is silenced out so you can actually hear the game, see it, and hear the announcers. And always when I watch older baseball games, I'll rewatch a ton on YouTube, and I always notice – that I can hear more of the crowd and it feels more exciting because I can hear more. So I can only imagine that going to an NPB, right? That's the name of the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's Nippon professional baseball. Yeah. Nippon professional, Nippon baseball, yeah. professional baseball. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. Cause I sort of want to know how to pronounce that first part of it. And yeah. to like, go to a game and it be that loud has to be so exciting. And I also love that they feel that the fans feel that they're a part of the game. Like they're doing their job to cheer the team on. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's funny. So I should, I should clarify. So mostly they're doing their thing and they're, they're on when their team is batting. And a really cool thing about Japanese baseball is that the visiting team has a cheering section at every ballpark where you know, a fan can buy tickets to that section. So the visiting teams, Owen Don will be leading their cheers when they're batting the home team will, you know, they're still cheering of course for their team on defense, but they're not, you know, it's kind of their time to catch a breath. So it's not three hours straight of screaming. And um, first of all, it's just awesome. Could you imagine like Cubs having a Cardinal section at Wrigley field or the Yankees having a Red Sox section? Like it's, Un- incomprehensible in the u.s but in japan is, yeah. you know it's kind of indicative of their culture of their hospitality and their kind of um uh, just their kind of oneness with with each other and you know it's 
the teams are rivals, but they're very respectful. And, and, um, you know, it's definitely, um, one a cool thing to see is that both teams are participating or both fan, um, both fans are participating. But a funny thing is that when the MLB teams come to play NPB teams, like in exhibition games, like for example, when the MLB opening day is in Japan and then before that they'll have some exhibition games, um, between the two leagues and so the japanese fans are cheering for their team when they're batting and then when the mlb team is batting there's no owen don for them the players don't have songs so it's almost like silent in the ballpark and it's this crazy phenomenon where it's like you know raucous when the when the home team is batting and then like just like polite claps and like you know because in japan you're the fans aren't so much heckling and like you know, making a scene of yelling. They're very much participating in the group, um, organized cheers very enthusiastically, but like, it's not so much, um, you know, the, what you would see with the kind of obnoxious fans that are just kind of yelling on whenever at whatever thing's happening. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, but, um, it's just funny when you see, when you go and it's like, you're in a Tokyo Dome and there's 50,000 people in there and it's like hushed while the players are batting. And then it's crazy while the, while the Japanese players are batting. That almost has to be impressive. Is it being so loud? Like to have 50,000 people in a park and just sort of like hear like a little soft clap because you know, the American players don't have their section. That would be awesome <laughs> to hear or not hear, I guess. But yeah, um, it's cool. Dude, the so like the hospitality portion of it, like I like that part of it. I've never, or I would like that part of it. I've never been a fan of players getting booed. Like if like if you're playing in like New York, like if you're Mets or Yankees or whatever, like those big markets will boo their players. And I've never been a fan of that. I've never booed a Cub. I've never booed anybody that you know has been playing against the team that I've been watching, and I just don't love it. Because, like, if I saw Giancarlo Stanton on the streets, I wouldn't call him a bum to his face. So, I like, why am I going to do it in the stands? You know, like, I want my team to do good, and I understand that baseball's a really hard sport. And to me, like, that seems a little disrespectful. Like, I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty old school guy when it comes to baseball. If you want to slide into a second baseman, go ahead and do it. But the booing, like, I just don't like it. Like, I don't think it does any good, and I, I, I just don't. So, when you talk about like the unity of the fans, like I love that. Like I watch a lot of Angels baseball because Shohei Otani is one of my favorite players. And mm-hmm. always I've been a little bit of a critic of like new baseball because like I want baseball used to be a pretty physical sport where like teams didn't like each other and you just got these gritty, hard nosed <laughs> games. But to watch Shohei Otani play and how he carries himself, it's just like you described. And it's my favorite thing. Because when I think of baseball, I think of being raised around the game and my parents doing what they could for me. And like to me, baseball is around as a lot of coming together in love. And especially like being older, I'll be 38 this October. I've got a 16 month old daughter. Like life just means more to me now because I'm better at it than what I was. And that's sort of why like I don't like the booing as much because I just want to like people and have fun. And 
Shohei Otani, like his first season in Major League Baseball, I think it was Eric Hosmer, but I don't remember. Shohei was running to first and like accidentally just about decked the first baseman. And the first thing he did was like, hey, man, are you okay? And you could see him like sort of put his hand on him. Like I couldn't read his lips because of the screen or whatever, but um, he was just like, you could tell that you got this like sense of nice. Like Shohei Otani mm-hmm. was just a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him on multiple occasions, like, if he'll foul tip a ball and it bounces off the catcher, usually the batter walks off and the the catcher will pick it up or whatever. And I've seen on multiple occasions Shohei pick up the ball and just give it to somebody, you know? And it's those little things that he does that he just exudes this kindness that I absolutely love because that's a lot of what the game means to me, you know, coming together at a ballpark, you know, meeting people that you don't know and, you know, sharing something in your life through the sport. And I absolutely love, like, that sounds awesome that the crowd is like that because that's a lot of what the game means to me. So I like it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100%. Like, I don't really – get the the like it's hard for me to be negative when i'm at the ballpark you know like um you know maybe there's a couple of those just super villains out there that or whatever but like you know you're you're having a good time and like to boo your own team i don't know it just doesn't really interest me and that's part of the thing that attracts me about the japanese game is yeah there's the respect for the other fans and for the other team there's just respect everywhere between the, the players bowed to the fans after the game you know it's That's it's amazing. a very um yeah and then you have guys like otani i mean he's just such a great ambassador for the game you know regardless of what country he's from or what league he came from like the guy plays the game the right way um he's awesome because he brings attention to the japanese version of baseball and shows how legit those athletes are and and like you said like i mean watching him what he does on the field is a treat from just the physical ability, but like, he just does things right. Like the other day, he it was funny. They uh, they were playing the A's, and I saw a little headline. It says like, benches clear after Otani, you know, throws at a guy or some, you know, something like that. Kind of a clickbaity type um, headline. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. So I I watched the clip, and uh, he throws a fastball up and in against Marcana on the A's. And uh, the first thing he does is he, he apologizes. He says, my bad, like totally, you can tell he's concerned. And then McKenna, you know, he's in his defense. He just got 98 miles per hour, like to his nose. Yeah, he, he just probably, probably peed his a... pants a little bit. So it's just <laughs> yeah. a knee-jerk reaction to be like, exactly. hold on, what just happened? Exactly. So he's, you know, McKenna gets all fired up and, and um, kind of things get heated, mostly just because I think because the catcher, Kurt Suzuki, um, Japanese American. Um, he, I think he was telling Kano, like, "Hey, back down." And Kano was just, you know, he just saw his life flash before his eyes, so he's not ready to calm down. <laughs> and and, and Otani's kind of looking around, like, "Oh, like, I, like, I don't, like, I'm apologizing. What? Do, I, don't, I don't want to fight. What's going on? <laughs> like, this is not what I tried to do." Um, and fortunately, you know, like most bench clearing incidents in Major League Baseball, nothing really happened. And I think that Kano and the A's probably knew, like, Otani's not trying to do anything uh, dirty, and he plays the game the right way. And I think players see that, too. And I think by the time he's done in Major League Baseball, his impact on the game is going to be great. There was – it might have been his first or second start this season. Um, 
And I think they were playing the White Sox. And you probably remember the play. He went to cover home plate because he was, he's was he been a little wild this season. And he threw a wild pitch or a pass ball. I don't remember what it was. And he went to cover home plate because Jose Abreu was running from third to score. I think it was Jose. Either Jose was running or Jose was the batter. And so Shohei goes to cover home plate and gets, like, knocked up a little bit. Like, whoever's coming home sort of runs into him and takes his legs out. Not on purpose, but the players just sort of run to each other because they're converging at home plate. Shohei's mm-hmm. running it, and the player's coming down. And Shohei's just about upended, and it doesn't look good, but he was fine. And I remember about that play, I believe it was Jose Abreu, who, like, went down to check on Shohei Otani. And I don't know if I've ever really seen players from the opposite team, like, get there really quick and show that much attention. Like, I know it happens, but Jose Abreu beat every angel to the scene. And he, like, got down on his knees and was, like, checking on this guy. And I think that that could sort of be the impact that Otani has by the time his career's done because baseball's sort of in this transitional phase of, you know, trying to, uh, you know, just trying to have more fun, right? You got guys like Tim Anderson in the league who's a sweetheart of a guy who I think also plays the game the right way, and he's just so energetic, right? And that's the stuff that you love. And I think, you know, that's sort of what Otani's going to have. Like, he's going to have an impact on like fans coming to the game, but also like on the other players that play in the league to sort of, um, I don't know, just do things a little differently. And that I like a lot. Yeah. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and Shohei, you know, he plays with passion too. You know, he's, he's oh, not, he does. He's yeah, not don't get it. yeah, but he, he gets fired up on, especially as a hitter and, and he, you know, he, the dude can. The thing that people don't appreciate is the dude can fly. Like he's a oh, gazelle when he gets real, moving. Like yeah. his home to first is ridiculous. Like he beats out routine grounders, and um, the, he played. I think I was reading something the other day, and they were like we're having, um, showing multiple people, multiple other big leaguers talk about Shohei Otani, and they are all bigger fans or as big a fans as any of us. Like they are in awe of this guy because they can appreciate better than anyone how hard the game is and for him to do what he's doing uh, as a pitcher and hitter um, the other players have so much respect for him and they see he does it the right way and I think that they also understand um, like once again better than any of us how much preparation that takes um, to and the mental wear and tear of you know that baseball is a grind as a hitter and a pitcher and then he he's multiplying that by two and uh, yeah, I think the players are in awe of him. So a guy like Abreu or anyone else, like they don't want to see him get hurt. They don't want, you know, they like watching him and, and they're in awe of him. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that he is, you know, I just want to, he just got to stay healthy because the things that he could do for the game, like within the game and for fans and uh, for the international aspect of the game, like, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, and I mean, you had mentioned like other Major League Baseball players recognizing how good he is. I think within the past couple weeks, uh, J.J. Watt and Kevin Durant have both tweeted about Shohei Otani. I think J.J. Watt tweeted something along the lines of, a lot of people, this is what his tweet was, I think. He wrote, a lot of people are talking about Shohei Otani, but not nearly enough people are talking about Shohei Otani. (laughs) And Kevin Durant was straight up basically like, this guy's a freak, I need him on my fantasy team. 
And it sort of <laughs> goes back to what That's you amazing. said about like his impact on the game and what he's going to be able to do. Because now you have other respected athletes in, you know, right now, larger North American sports that are like, dude, if you're not watching this guy, like you absolutely need to. Because the conversations I would imagine around sports are like, is this guy the best athlete to, I mean, is he the best athlete in baseball right now? And is he possibly the best athlete to ever play the game? Because there's just, you know, you mentioned the preparation and, you know, that the game is so competitive. Every sport for that matter is so competitive. That's why you have kids at such a young age. They're picking their sport and they're doing it early. You know, you're going to be a baseball player. Are you going to play football? Like you got to pick one because if you're going to go pro in any one of them, the competition is so strong. Like you have to be perfect. And if you're going to try to play two sports, maybe that's not going to happen. And that's what Otani's doing. He's pitching amazing. He had, what, one game where he had, what was this, like three weeks ago or four weeks ago where he recorded the fastest pitch in Major League Baseball in 2021 and the hardest hit ball of the year, too. So he's doing it on such an elite level. It's like uh, like Marcus Stroman's tweet about Shohei Otani was, I forget what he said, but it was pretty appropriate to just how mind-boggling it is. And I think a lot of that, I do not think it's a coincidence that he's able to perform so well. And I know that has to have a relationship with his mindset, you know, because if you figure like, you know, me and you, like if we're, if we do something really well, chances are we were probably in a pretty good mood when we did it. And I think that has so much to do with why Shohei Otani is such a good, granted his physical capabilities are, you know, out of this world, but his mental mindset has to help out so much, you know, day in and day out. Totally. And I think it's, it's interesting that like the, the angels basically said, you know, it's showtime this year. Like we're taking the, any of the barriers off like or, and we're going to let him hit, we're going to let him pitch. We're mm-hmm. going to, let him, you know, he moved to the outfield for a couple innings. Like, I mean, if the dude wanted to, if they let him play outfield, obviously, you know, they have to preserve him. Like, I bet you the guy would be a gold glover, you know, <laughs> but um, they, my point is once he's, they let him just do his thing this year, it's like, he's the best that he's ever been. This is what people were hoping for. This is what we got, you know, people, fans of NPB saw, uh, fans of, you know, national Japan's national team have seen um, like he's at his best when he's doing it all. Like I think his flow state or whatever it is, like he's got to be in the game. Like he's feeling it from the hitter hitting point of view. He's feeling it from the mound. Like he, he, he that's when he's performing his best. And, and uh, hopefully it means that's when his body's at best too, because he's in the right mindset. And um, yeah, I, it's not surprising you say that like JJ Watt and Kevin Durant and these guys are tweeting about him. Like, I mean, that's so good to hear. I I love that for the game, just for the sake of the game of baseball. Um, But I mean, the, the dude is unreal. Like I I can't imagine, I guess, you know, the angels are underperforming again this year, but like, how could, if he stays healthy all year, how could you even consider anyone else for MVP? (laughs) You know, like you can't, like no one even can come, come close to this guy. He keeps doing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, he's playing Major League Baseball like a little leaguer. Like, I remember being in Little League Baseball, 
where the games were six innings. So my dad would pitch me the first three innings, and then I would catch the last three. And this guy's on the highest stage of sports, and he's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and pitch for six, and you can stick me out at right field. I'll probably hit a home run, and then we can just do the same thing tomorrow. And I love that the Angels are like, it's showtime. Because, listen, like a lot of like just doing it and the constant physical activity, like I think can motivate the player. Like, for example, like I'm a proponent of bringing the stolen base back, and a lot of teams are stealing more this year. And the reason why I like it is because, like, that constant motion and just being more active and doing more things, I think can make a person better. Like, Wilbur Wood was this dude who was a knuckleballer for the White Sox back in the day, and this guy went a full season where he started every third day. And he was like, I like it because I'm better if I pitch more often. And his stats showed it. And that's sort of probably, you know, a lot of the Bo Jackson mentality too, where he would just stop playing, you know, baseball and go pick up football because he was just always so active. And that in itself has to be motivating to be able to do all that stuff and sort of just get into it. So, I mean, I'm like you, like, I hope he stays healthy. And as far as, you know, what you said was probably the truth. Like, who else could you vote for MVP? And that's in a league with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mike Trout, right? Well, obviously, Tatis is in the National League, but there are a lot of great players in the game right now, but none of them can do what Otani can. Like, he hit, he hits baseball so hard. And also, before I forget, you had mentioned about him being a competitor, and that's the thing about Otani. It's like... Don't get it twisted. Like, he's just not this nice guy who's going to apologize if he throws one at 98. Like, the guy's a beast. Like, he's, he'll yell on the mound. He's striking guys out. Like, he is probably, along with being one of the kindest individuals in baseball, probably one of the most competitive and the most focused. Totally. Yeah. You know, he's he's driven by the competition. Like, he his story of when – we uh, we're gonna this is gonna end up being a Shohei Otani podcast. We can just <laughs> talk about him all day. But his <clears throat> when he went decided to go to uh, the Angels or, or just go to the U.S. Um, he left a lot. Like we're talking tens of millions, maybe hundreds oh, of millions yeah. of dollars on the table because he wanted to be able to play at the you know the highest level and and play against the best players in the world, which. You know, I got to be careful because I don't want to take away from the Japanese game. Like they are playing at a really high level, but you know, a guy like Otani, he wants to, he wants to play against the most elite group of players he can, and he didn't care about the money. He, he like when he was in high school, he stayed at his local high school, even though in Japan, high school baseball is like the the big. It's like their high school tournaments, like March Madness, like it's uh, arguably a bigger deal than professional baseball. And I, but he still wanted to stay with his hometown team um, in high school. And then when he went to the pros, he, he basically said, okay, I'll play here in Japan, but only if you let me leave early. And um, basically, if you let me leave whenever I want to. And uh, if he had stayed longer, he could have been a free agent. But he basically signed for the minimum when he came over here as an international amateur player because uh, the dude's a competitor, like you said. And, um, yeah, and, and we're seeing it in, in all its glory now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his contract right now, I don't know if he went through arbitration or not, but he might be at like two years, $8 million. But you're right. Like, I know when Masahiro Tanaka came over, like, I don't know what his contract was, but Otani's would have been much higher. Like, you're talking probably, it could have been $200 million compared to, like, 
just a few million yeah. dollars. Like that totally. is so impressive. And that's just like the type of person he is. Like that's what Ricky Williams did when he signed with the New Orleans Saints. Like he signed a contract that was based on all these performance incentives because he was like, I don't want to be an overpaid ball player. Like I, I want to play ball and I want to earn my money. And to him, you know, the money was second to the competition. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's one of the things that irked me the other day about your mean Mercedes hitting like a 3-0 um, home run off Williams Acedillo for a grand slam. And everybody was like, oh man, he shouldn't have hit that home run, this, that, or the other. But I think by him doing that and by, you know, what Shohei Otani's doing, I think that's preserving the competition. And that's some, that's like something I've been super interested in lately, you know, with, you know, because there's this big like divide with like new school and old school baseball. And, you know, should a guy slide hard into second, this, that, or the other. And to me, like, if I look at those aspects of the game and I'm like, well, do I like that or not? Usually I'll just go back to the competitive nature of the game because that's one of the things that interests me most about baseball. And when I look at, you know, what Otani did or like what Ricky Williams did, you have these guys that pass up money for like, you know, for competition, you know, I love that. And when your mean Mercedes was expected to take pitches because there was some Minnesota twin in there doing mop up duty, I'm over here, you know, being armchair GM. And I'm like, well, what about respecting the competition? You know, I think there's something to be said for that. And, you know, what Otani's doing is, uh, I mean, that's a huge deal. But speaking totally. of, listen, I don't, I want to know more about NPB. So if I'm the type of person that I could watch anybody play baseball because I love baseball, right? I love the way the game sounds, right? Throw a ball into a catcher's glove, the crack of the bat, like, let's do this thing. I don't care. I'm in an adult softball league right now, and after the game, Sometimes there are like some fifth graders playing ball behind the field. I'll just sit there for 10 minutes and watch them play. I love it. You know, I love baseball. Whoever's playing it, I love it. If, first of all, the NPB season, what month is it on? It overlaps with the MLB season. So it's going on right now? Yeah. Yeah. And if a person wanted to watch it, like how, how does somebody watch it? Do you have to get like a certain TV subscription or how does that work? Yeah. I, I wish there was a simpler answer to that question. And that's something that I hope NPB figures out. Um, there is, so there's the Pacific league and the central league, just like the AL and the NL there's Pacific league TV, um, which is accessible. And that's definitely the best way to watch, uh, NPB baseball for sure right now. Um, and they're working on expanding that, and um, but it's just the one league's games, um, and then there's you know different TV providers that may have um, one or two Japanese channels that you can watch depending on who provides in your area. Um, there's lots of people who um, will have uh, kind of more nefarious ways of you know pretending like they're internet, pretending like they're based in Japan. That's so they can, right. Okay. You know, there's so I would just you know. NPB Reddit, <laughs> just check that out. And uh, there's plenty of people. I, and um, I mean, there's lots of people in our community, the Japan Ball community as well, uh, who would be happy to share. You know, whenever someone asks that question, it's like there's a lot of different answers. But Pacific League TV is the best way to just have a good, uh, you know, over the table, accessible way to watch Japanese baseball. Um, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to know more, yeah, look up Japan Ball on, on Facebook. 
or on social media and, and we can kind of crowdsource an answer um, to that for sure. Yeah, because I remember when, I guess it was last season when MLB had a shortened season. I think it was like the baseball league in South Korea by chance. In Korea, still going yeah, on. yeah, exactly. And I, I never really did a lot of due diligence to figure out how to watch it, but I know a lot of people were, they said it was really exciting, but it sort of seemed like daunting. So that's good to hear at least, um, you know, how to get that going. But I, there are two stadiums, two, I maybe two stadiums I looked up in Japan and one was Miji Jinju Stadium. You're going to have to help me with these pronunciations. I don't mean any disrespect. I just don't no know worries. how to say them. Um, and basically, the two oldest stadiums in Japan, I think, were built in 20, 1926 and 1924. Yeah, I don't have the dates in front of me. But, yeah, Meiji Jingu Stadium or just Jingu Stadium. Jingu um, Stadium, okay. And and Koshien Stadium. Koshien Stadium, um, okay. Those are the two oldest ballparks in Japan. And uh, they... They're, yeah, they're built in the 20s or even before that. Um, we'd have to look on our on our stadium profile on our site to know the exact date. But those are two of the oldest ballparks in the world uh, that are still um, not only just hosting baseball, but professional baseball. Um, they are two of the only, you know, less than, you know, kind of on one hand, the ballparks that uh, – Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig played at because they, they they both played there in barnstorming tours. Um, you know, I guess you know Fenway Park would be one, and and I guess by Wrigley maybe. Yeah, because Babe Ruth hit that called um, home run at Wrigley Field uh, Wrigley. in a World yeah, Series. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that's so amazing. I guess th- those are two, and then Japan's got two. I don't, I don't think there's any more that I'm aware of at least. Um, and those are awesome. I mean, Koshien Stadium. So the cool thing about both those ballparks. And this is a little peek into Japanese baseball culture. They were built for amateur baseball. Koshien was built for high school baseball, and Jingu was built for college baseball. And baseball is always an amateur sport in Japan for the first, um, I mean, really, like for the first like seventy-five years of baseball in Japan. Uh, it was introduced in eighteen seventy-two, and and I know that because they're celebrating their sesquicentennial next year 150 years wow okay. uh so you know japanese baseball is pretty much just as long a history as american baseball almost as long um and it was always an amateur sport and it was very much viewed as a sport that um really develops the mindset and the physicality of and the discipline that you want to have as an adult and it was a viewed as an amateur game and was huge amateur, you know, they built these stadiums that are worthy of being, uh, you know, major league stadiums today, just to, to um, host the biggest tournaments um, in amateur baseball. And those two ballparks now are still used for high school and college baseball and professional baseball. Um, and so they have great history and, uh, yeah, I mean, you're walking into a time capsule for sure when you're there. Koshien even has um, ivy on the walls, not on the outfield walls, but on the walls around the stadium. So it's got that cool kind of Wrigley vibe with that. And uh, the fans are the most raucous at Koshien. And nice. They're actually like, I mean, it's it's kind of too easy to say like Tigers, 
Hanshin Tigers and, and Chicago Cubs are the Chicago Cubs of Japan. But like, you know, that that's they're the second most popular team. They're the lovable losers. Um, they got the craziest fans. Uh, so I think that's your team, Clinton. <laughs> oh, I, I think it already is now. You had me at the <laughs> Ivy, and if they're the lovable losers, like I think, yeah, I for sure picked the team. I gotta get online, order my hats. I'm gonna put on some eye black and figure out go to the uh, Reddit and see what I can get going. But I think there's a rich history with there. Like, those are old stadiums. But listen, are you telling me, if I heard this right, that it was always an amateur sport, but now it's a huge deal and it's all professional. And are you saying that a lot of that had to do with sort of what the game stood for and it's, like, cultural relevance to, like, people's values? For sure. I mean, the training in baseball – in in amateur baseball and even in professional baseball too um is notorious i would say but it's it's not even about the game and the performance it's about the preparation and kind of the like samurai approach to um dedication and discipline um and and having all of your pride as a human on the line is that's at stake in baseball and that's at stake in practice in baseball in Japan. And, um, I mean, there's countless, yeah, there's some good books on Japanese baseball that really kind of get into it, but, you know, to put it simply, it's, it's basically like when you're training for baseball, like you're not training to win the game. You're in Japan. I'm talking about you're, you're training to, become the best version of yourself that you can be. And like, that's kind of the cliche thing that like every coach would say, you know, in a little league, whatever, but like in Japan, it's a real thing. And, and players were baseball was such a huge deal and no one was playing to do it as a profession. Um, for the first, you know, I mean, NPD started in like the fifties as we know it today in 1950s and baseball was introduced in 1872 and baseball was a huge deal by the time the 1900s, you know, the beginning of 1900s um, were rolling around, you know, to the, you know, evidenced by the fact that those two stadiums were built in the first part of the 1900s. And those are giant stadiums just for amateur baseball. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's all about the training. It's all about the development. Um, if it's, if it's not good for you to wear your body out to the extent that they do, as far as like your ability to perform come game time, a lot of, uh, people in a lot of coaches in Japan will they say that's that's not what we're working towards. It, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense if the science tells me that like these guys need more rest, <laughs> you know, because that's not really what we're uh, that's not our goal is uh, is not to optimize the performance. It's it's to optimize it, it, not, not to optimize the performance come first pitch. It's optimize the performance as a person. Yeah, that. I like a lot. I don't really know what, like that sort of leaves me speechless. I, you know, being a part, like recording this podcast with you and, you know, having all these various listeners on and the the Instagram community, like to me, like I sort of feel that same way. Like it means so much more to me than the game. It's, you know, the human connection for sure. But I think the ability to, you know, push yourself mentally. Like when I was growing up, you know, there aren't really a lot of baseball games. I remember playing with my dad, right? It's always the practices that I remember, you know, being out in the sweltering heat and, you know, trying to push myself and he's yelling at me and smoking a cigarette. And I don't know what the hell's going on, right? Because I don't get it because I'm young. 
But I'm so thankful for all those moments because I'm not a pro ball player and I suck. And I all of those values override the game of baseball, you know, when it comes to, you know, my wife and my daughter. And, you know, I I'm more likely to look at like my screaming baby that won't sleep as more of a challenge than you know, sort of a chore. And I think a lot of that's because of the values that I learned in baseball and sort of what you said about how, you know, the Japanese players approach the game where it sounds like it's more of not so much a, can I win on game day? Am I fresh? But more so like this mental and physical journey of being your best self. And baseball is very representative of that, you know, because when you talk about the tropical climate, baseball is a lot of, you know, standing around in the heat and waiting for a fly ball to come to you. And, you know, in this baseball league that I'm in, you know, I get the chance to suffer in the heat a little bit. You know, we're not in the dog days of summer yet in South Carolina, but we're getting close to it. And, you know, when I come back with a farmer's tan or, you know, my dad smoked growing up. And so on the rarest of occasion, I'll come back from the ball game and I'll smoke a cigarette and I got my farmer's tan on. And it's like, you know, smoking the cigarettes really bad for me, even if I smoke just like one a month. And being out in the sun exhausts me. And if my daughter wakes up at night, you know, it's going to suck. But when I do it, like I'm sort of, I do my best to be in that realm that you just described, you know, it's not about how I feel like if I'm actually tired in the moment, but you know, how I'm growing as a human being. And that's so cool to hear that, you know, that's sort of what a lot of players in the league stand for, because that's how I look at baseball. You know, I try to use it, you know, to to grow, you know, it's obviously like this nostalgic time machine where I can look at how my parents raised me and stuff like that. But, you know, to come back from a game and, you know, my legs are hurting and I end up holding my daughter for two hours because she won't sleep. You know, I, I like that stuff. I really do. And I think that I'm lucky that I was at least able to recognize it now in my life. It probably hasn't came until like the past two years or whatever. But I think that's a pretty meaningful thing because, you know, the game's so much bigger than the actual game. Yeah, I love that. I love all that. That's great stuff. But um, let me ask you um, this. So as far as your trips to, like your tours, do you lead all of the tours? Yes. Yeah, I do. And how often do you do those? Well. <laughs> like, is it like a once a year to each place possibly? Yeah. The only reason why I hesitate is just because we're we're grounded right now, still unfortunately, yeah, due to COVID. Um, but yeah, the for now, um, you know, in, in a normal year, what we would do, you know, like what I intend to do in a full year next year in 2022, um, is we do hopefully one trip to Japan in the spring, you know, in the early season, maybe preseason or just first month of the year or so. Uh, we'll do a summer tour to Europe, um, you know, kind of more in the middle of the summer. And then we would, in the fall, go back to Asia doing a, a stopover in Korea, go to Seoul and see the teams around there, um, and then do Japan again, kind of a more expansive tour um, where if you wanted to, you could see all 12 NPB teams in, in one fell swoop. Um, or just join for any portion of that. Um, and then in, in November, um, around November, do a trip to the Dominican Republic, 
uh, for their winter league. So that would be a full year, ideally, you know, for now, like, you know, I'd, I'd love to even go further. I'd love to do team travel, um, you know, bringing high school teams and stuff to these countries. I have a lot of, with it, I'd, I'd like to just get one full year in of those tours and, you know, eventually, um, you know, we'll see, you know, there, there's lots of countries playing baseball, not every country, but enough where we could, you know, keep expanding for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, if we do that, I'll have to get some help probably leading the tours, but, um, yeah, that's, that's how it is for now, you know, knock on wood, you know, for next year, you know, for this year, we're still hoping to go to Japan and Korea. Although if we were to leave today, we wouldn't be able to, um, the DR is definitely still on for November, um, because yeah, they're not, you know, they're not blocking anyone from coming in. Um, so that'll happen, but you know, it may be that that's the only tour we get to squeak in uh, this year still. Listen, those Dominican leagues, I would love to go there. Those winter leagues seem wild and energetic and an absolute blast. Oh, man, you you would definitely love it. It's like, yeah, it, it is wild. It's I mean, those kind of, I lived in the DR for, for a couple of years. Oh, really? Heck you, yeah. And, I studied abroad there, then I worked there, and I, I mean, I love that place. It's like everything that Japan isn't as far as organization and like um, discipline and rule following, but um, the games, you know, baseball, like we said, baseball is the best way to experience a new culture or a sporting event, and baseball in the DR is, is so much fun in its own way. And in all those countries, you know, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Cuba, it's, it's wild and um, you know, it's only there, you know, we view it as an off season league, but you know, they view it as an on season league and you know, the fans take it seriously. The players take it seriously. Um, you show up in the, you go to a game in the DR and, uh, you know, the, the drink vendors, um, you, you say, uh, Oh, I want a rum and Coke. They give you a bottle of rum, a bottle of Coke <laughs> and a giant, they say, how many, how many, uh, styrofoam cups of of ice do you want (laughs) to go with that that's my kind of game that is amazing yeah yeah and they have music and stuff playing like in japan but it's definitely not an organized um song where everyone's on the same page everyone is dancing and doing their own thing and they got cheerleaders and they got like it's it's a different type of ball game down there you know literally and figuratively um and that country's so fun i mean there's there's a big leaguer playing dominoes and drinking rum on every corner. Um, and it's like, I don't know. It's like baseball paradise in the DR. Dude, it sounds amazing. Like that is like the energy behind that. I mean, give me a bottle of rum and a bottle of Coke and just say, how many styrofoam cups do you need? I'm like, just the one will do. This is all for me right here, pal. (laughs) Exactly. I have to ask you though. So this is obviously like a nostalgic podcast. Like a lot of the stuff that I talk about, is like stuff I grew up with, you know, and it sort of influenced the podcast and my Instagram and stuff like that. But I have to ask you like, so this is what you do. I think it's a really wonderful thing. How, like, where did the idea for this come from? Like, did it have anything to do with your relationship growing up with baseball or, you know, your desire to travel? Like, what was sort of catalyst behind this? And are there any, like, you know, nostalgic stories or, you know, anything you had growing up that sort of led to this? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is um, when I was a kid, my dad would go on business trips to uh, Japan relatively, you know, maybe like once a year okay. for a string of years there. 
and he would bring back Japanese baseball cards to me. And that was my introduction to Japanese baseball. And you know, I didn't know who any of these guys were, but I loved collecting baseball cards. And it was just, you know, it was so exciting to open those packs and like, you can't even, some of them, they have the names in English. Some of them, they don't, Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, it's like, I don't know who these teams are. Some of it, there's the giants and there's <laughs> the dragons that look like the Dodgers. And, um, but you know, it's just like this exciting other league out there. So that was my introduction. Um, and partly because of that, my dad got to go to a couple games and he was over there and, and he would talk about, um, how the guy, every player has their own songs and they, everyone's playing their thunder sticks to, to like, you know, along with the songs and, nice. and then, um, Nomo came around when I was nine oh, and I'm, a, you know, I grew up a giants fan and I was like, you know, still to this day, he's maybe the only Dodger I've ever really liked. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was completely step, swept up in Nomo Mania. Oh, and dude, I kind of had a little bit a of the, yeah. Oh my gosh. He was amazing. And I had a little bit of the intro to Japanese baseball. So that really got me into it. And then, um, you know, I just, I, you know, I loved baseball. I, when I hear you talk about your childhood memories, like it brings up a lot of the ones for me, you know, I had, a lot of the same uh, similar experiences that you had, you know, growing up and just loving baseball is the first thing I remember really loving, um, you know, maybe others in my, my family. But um, when I, I, I thought I was, I wanted to be a big leaguer. It turns out the only reason why I was so good in little league is because I was the same size then as I am now. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was, <laughs> it was like, oh, as soon as guys started catching up, I was like, all right, well, that's not going to work. So then I just was like, how am I going to work in baseball? And, um, you know, I tried to figure out ways to work in the game. And uh, I studied abroad in, in the DR when I was in college. And uh, that was really when I first, like, really felt the um, – how international of a game it is you know you, well i picked the dr because i wanted to learn spanish thinking that could help me work in baseball and because i was like the way i read it was basically like what soccer is to brazil baseball is to the dominican republic and i'm like i want to go to a country like that where baseball is their national sport and um so i did that and i was just really it got the you know the taste of a new culture and kind of got the travel bug uh, still baseball. So, um, that led to, uh, eventually got a job working in the commissioner's office of major league baseball. Oh, no way. In, That's inter- awesome. Yeah. It was, it was a great job working in international baseball operations. So like, um, we can, uh, I won't get into all the details, but basically all the international aspects of the game from like developing the game and, and to signing players from other countries to major league contracts, things of that nature that I worked in. And I got to travel the world um, for baseball purposes. You know, my business trips were baseball trips to all these different countries. And that was like so freaking cool, you know? And and I got to know all these people around the world who love the game, whether they're in a baseball crazy country or they're in, you know, some in Europe or in, uh, you know, Australia or, you know, somewhere where baseball is not so huge, you know, it was just so fun experiencing these different cultures and connecting with these people who have dedicated themselves to the game in, in other countries. And, uh, my, my wife and I are both from California and, uh, we wanted to move back home and, um, we're both in the same city actually in California. And so we were talking about moving 
eventually I was in New York working in the commissioner's office, uh, first in the DR, then New York. And one moved home to California and I said, all right, like, what are my favorite parts of my job? And like, how can I try to continue that on? Um, and like, I love putting together trips. Um, like we would do like some prospect trips with international prospects and, and I love, and I'd work on the world baseball classic. I love these like events and like organizing these trips. And I love, of course, traveling the world for baseball purposes. So, um, you know, one, uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this relatively short, but basically, uh, no, we got time, my... man. I want to know the good <laughs> stuff. Don't hold back. All right. So what I first thought was I'm going to bring teams, um, to the DR, like high school teams, college, a lot of college teams, um, in all sports will travel abroad. Like colleges can budget you know, every three or four years to allow to bring teams to other countries. Okay. So I thought it'd be really fun to bring teams to DR, have them play not only at the MLB academies, um, where they play in these pristine fields against professional players who are, you know, 16 to 19 years old or so, but also playing in, you know, the sand lots, more of this kind of stereotypical, um, they don't actually use milk cartons for gloves, at least not nowadays, but you know, that kind of imagery of yeah. the Dominican baseball players and like having them having exposing American players to this Dominican baseball culture. So that was kind of my idea. I was like, I think that'd be so fun. I did similar things in my job and how can I do that? So, um, I worked with a guy, uh, Bill Bavese, who used to be the GM of the angels and the mariners and he used to talk about his brother bob uh who ran these baseball tours to japan and um he always thought it was such a cool thing he did and um so when i was gonna leave mlb i asked um to be able to put me in touch with his brother and um and bob started doing he he founded japan ball in 1999 was their first tour in japan and I said, hey, can I learn um, about what you do? Because I want to do a similar type thing. I, I want to get into international baseball tourism and whatnot. And he said, yeah, why don't you come along with me to Japan and I'll teach you what I know so that you can then, you know, apply it to your own, you know, however you want. Um, and you can kind of help me out a little bit. And I didn't really realize it at the time until we got to know each other and he let me know that he liked me, that he was actually looking for someone to take over the business because nice. he had just bought in a boat. He wanted to sail and, and he wanted to retire. He owned a minor league team. He founded the Everett Aqua Sox and he, Oh, no way. Yeah. You know, yeah. And he sold that team and he was like, you know, he was, he was ready to you know live the retired life. So I, uh, so that led to me taking over Japan ball. Um, and I still definitely wanted to have the DR thing in mind. And obviously Japan ball, you know, Japan is our bread and butter and, um, it's the best league in the world outside of major league baseball. Um, as far as talent goes, some would say they like NPB better than MLB and I wouldn't argue, but so yeah, we're not going to stray too far from that, but I definitely, you know, want to pay homage to my Dominican. Um, you know, the, I mean, you talk about nostalgia. I have a lot of nostalgia for that country for the time studying abroad and then oh, working there for, for MLB. Um, and I definitely want to keep being able to tap into that and, and connect with the people who I met in baseball in the DR. And, um, yeah, I just, I love the idea of, of getting on a plane with like-minded adventurous fans that, you know, we, anyone who comes with us, they, we have two things in common. We love baseball 
and uh, you know we're curious to to see the world. And so those two things doesn't really matter what else you don't have in common. Like those are two things enough to bond, and uh, it's just so much fun. So yeah, that's where we are today, and I uh, can't wait for uh, us to be able to travel to Japan and these other countries again, uh, so we can start doing it. Dude, that's an amazing story, and that's so cool that you get a chance to do all that. You know, bringing people together, putting everybody on an airplane, and you know, sharing just the love of baseball and, you know, the love of travel. I think that, I mean, it's just amazing that baseball has that sort of reach. And it's also pretty amazing that baseball's played in all these other places, but so many people don't know about it, you know? And, like, that's something that I'm definitely interested to know more of. It's like, you know, how the Dominican Winter Leagues work, you know, how to keep track of those teams. Like, I know last offseason – when the season was over, Fernando Tatis Jr. got permission to go play in the Dominican because they were in the postseason, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just seems like that there's a lot of love for baseball in a lot of those leagues to where, you know, if if you're if someone's listening to this podcast, they probably have a pretty deep love for baseball, sort of like what we have. And it seems like that's what you get when you get to that style of baseball. You know, a lot of people complain about you know, Major League Baseball with like, you know, like when the 94 strike happened. And then last season, a lot of fans were rubbed the wrong way when you had guys like Blake Snell where they're like, hey, I'm, I got to get mine, you know, like I'm trying to get money. And mm -hmm. it almost seems like at least this is the impression I get from like these other leagues. If a person really wants to, you know, get into a league that maybe has a lot of love for the game in it, it seems like, you know, like Dominican Winter Leagues, and the NPB, you know, sort of has that. And when you mentioned that a lot of people like, you know, the NPB and the Dominican Winter Leagues just as much, if not more than Major League Baseball, I bet a lot of it has to do with that. You know, maybe a lot of the, you know, the commercial feel or like the capitalistic feels, you know, stripped from it. And you just get down to the love of the game. Yeah, I mean, the international leagues and similar to you know some of these independent leagues even even minor league baseball in the u.s like you could definitely um make the argument that's a more pure version of the game mm -hmm. you know for for so many reasons you know with money with the style you know the way the game is actually played on the field um with the affordability of it um and uh and just kind of the way that you know players you know, maybe stick with their teams for longer. And, yeah. and um, there's a more regional aspect, you know, in a lot of these international leagues of, of uh, you know, you're rooting for your home team um, and, and the players are sticking with that team. And in the DR, it's not so much anymore, but it used to be that it still is to an extent that like guys tend to play for teams that are um, from their part of the country, um, you know, things like that. And yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of fans, that come with us, you know, a lot of people who come on our tours, they've seen all 30 major league ballparks or their mm -hmm. minor league season ticket holders or, you know, things like that, you know, the really hardcore pure fans who, and, and they end up, a lot of them, they'll go to a game in Japan or, or 12 games in Japan. And, and they'll all of a sudden realize this is closer to the version of baseball that I fell in love with in a lot of ways. And it's exciting and new in a lot of ways as well so um you know people really get into it and, and that can be said about i think seeing baseball in any country you know australia has a winter league and you know a lot of these different countries have winter leagues and different leagues that just are really baseball in its purest form 
Yeah, you know, there's nothing better than seeing like I don't I say this and I don't mean any disrespect to major league baseball players. Like I, I, I love major league baseball and I love the players, right? It's my it's my favorite league that I've ever watched. I haven't watched a lot of these other leagues, but I guess what I'm about to say, like, I don't mean any disrespect to those guys, but I'll experience this when I go to like small minor league ballparks where you got guys out in the field and they're just grinding. You know, they're not playing for you know, $300 million contracts and all that sort of thing. Like they're grinding because they love the game and they want to get better. And I like to watch that. And I would imagine these other leagues sort of have a hint of that as well. You know, like NPB is a really big league, right? There's a lot of money in it. That's a big deal. But, you know, baseball in a pure form probably is a little different and it might be you know, for reasons like that, you know, there's a little more grind and hustle in it. Let me ask you this. Is there a difference in style of play that might have something to do with it? Like Major League Baseball right now, it's like your home runs, your strikeouts and walks. What's the style of play in the NPB like? Definitely more small ball. I mean, okay. the sacrifice bunt is very much alive in Japan. Yes, I love the um, sack bunt. Get it. Um, stolen bases. Um, you know, guys... You know, don't get me wrong, like guys hit home runs and there's plenty of guys who will swing for the fences, but um the Japanese game is definitely more of a small ball version of baseball. Um it's much more tactical. The manager has a significant influence in the game. Sometimes it's kind of they make confounding moves and you know, like bringing the outfield in, like when there's a guy in scoring position and then it's like a routine fly ball turns into a triple, you know, things like that. But, um, I actually, um, was reading about this guy who's a kind of a more like a sabermetrician in Japan. And he was talking about how he's been trying to sell his ideas and services to NPB clubs to, you know, let them know like, Hey, maybe things you're doing uh, don't really make sense. And, um, he had a meeting with a manager and uh, he explained to the manager, like, I think of, I think he was talking about sack bunts. Um, basically, like, very plainly put the numbers in front of him on, on why uh, he was actually hurting his team uh, or, or maybe it, why his team could have uh, optimized their, you know, scoring potential if they did things differently. And the manager said, I believe you and that all makes sense. But if I significantly changed our strategy and, and did things that really disrupted the traditional way of the game. I'm disrespecting the manager who came before me. And I'm basically saying that he did things wrong and that, and I would never show him up like that. So I would never do what you're um, proposing for me to do. <laughs> like when you have those sort of obstacles, you know, those sort of values of the tradition and playing the game the way you were taught, like, I think Japan, it is evolving a little bit um, and it will continue to evolve, um, but they're definitely, uh, you know, many years behind MLB as far as like they're willing. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but years behind as in like, they're not going to be doing all these progressive revolutionary things that major league baseball teams are doing anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know that I actually have a problem with that. Like I get, like what the data will say on like, Hey, if you're going to steal bases, it needs to be this amount percentage for it to actually, you know, help your team in the long haul and like with bunts and stuff like that. But it goes back to like, I sort of have a theory on Cal Ripken that's sort of related for the, to this. Like a lot of people, especially like in today's game, 
was say like in conversation, like, hey, what Cal Ripken did, and he played like 2,100 whatever many games in a row, probably actually hurt himself and hurt his team because he probably just needed a day off because baseball's hard. It's hot in August. And right, like he's probably, you know, could nurse an injury or whatever. But sometimes, like if I look at Cal Ripken and, you know, situations like with bunting and stealing and stuff where like you can crack the numbers and the data and say, oh, like, you know, maybe that wasn't a good idea. And I think there's a, there's obviously, I don't think, I know for sure, right? I mean, it's proven. Like those are, you know, that's data. Like those are serious proven numbers. But I think there's definitely a like a happy medium between the two, like on base percentage and hard hit rate and all that stuff. Like it makes a lot of sense, but I do think there's an intangible effect to like what a lot of the coaches at NPB are doing or like keeping the game the same, because I think a team could build energy around like a sack bunt, a stolen base, things like that, that wouldn't necessarily, that can't be measured. And we'll never know this, but at the end of the day may have been the better decision, you know, and it goes back to like with Cal Ripken Jr. Like you could tell me like he should have taken a day off, but part of me thinks, well, it's that mentality that Cal Ripken Jr. had that probably made him a good player. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like Otani, like, well, if Otani would just pitch, think of how good of a pitcher he would be. But then I'm like, well, because he does both and because that's his mentality, that's probably what actually makes him a good player. So I wonder with stuff like that, if it's not a good thing that a lot of NPB coaches are like a little slow to progress in a lot of that, because maybe it all sort of, there's like an intangible effect of, well, that's just who we are as a team. And that's sort of just what makes us good. And if we, you know, tried to uproot our play, yeah, it could definitely be disrespectful to coaches that came before but it could also just like change the whole team's mentality and maybe it wouldn't be as good. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I'm, I'm, and I'm with you, you know, and like, I love this, you know, anyone who loves baseball loves the strategy version of the game, yeah. you know, and, and loves the tactical aspect and, and the, and respects and appreciates the ability to execute small things like a sack bun or moving the runner over or, you know, all these little things that are lost, I think, in today's player development. You know, they built in Japan they use a lot of off speed pitches and it's it's not just about blowing gas by guys, mm-hmm. you know, forcing fastball top of the zone and like there's a beauty to that, you know? And that's why we love baseball, because of that beauty. And um yeah, I'm I'm not gonna be the person that's uh trying to uh you know, fight for the analytical revolution in Japan. I yeah. love the idea that we can go there and we can watch small ball. And, and I, and I'm with you too. I love major league baseball. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I go to games. I love the players. I respect the heck out of, you know, the players good and bad on every roster. Like I think it's a great game, but um, I do love seeing that uh, around the world. They're, you know, they're playing baseball the, the way it was taught to them. And I don't think, you know, numbers may one say one thing, but like, you know, if your respected mentors say something like there's something to be said for that, you know, like that, that evolved that point for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I won't argue against analytics, but I do know that I appreciate, um, you know, the small ball for sure. You know, that's, that's fun. And, and I love seeing it in Japan. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, I for sure love the small ball aspect of it. But I can also appreciate just, like, the respect for the previous generations. You know, like, if I smoke a cigarette once a month or what I say once a month because, like, I uh, it's it's not very often. I mean, it may be a few times a month or whatever, but it's not good for me, but I do it. And a lot of it's because I guess out of, like, respect for my dad because when I do it, it sort of reminds me of things. And mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like this meditative thing to me. And so I like that idea of, you know, honoring, you know, the folks that came before and sort of showing respect for them because I think, you know, that goes back to like nostalgia. And I think that gives us roots in our life. And, you know, what you had mentioned earlier about, you know, a lot of the beauty in baseball is the preparation, not necessarily game day. And I think that strategy sort of, you know, with, you know, not changing up to, you know, from a lot of small ball tactics sort of, you know, goes back to the point that you made about how the players handle themselves in the league is, you know, it's about so much more than the game. And, you know, remembering those that came before you, I think, allows us to, you know, work with the values that we were taught and really enjoy life and build relationships with those around us. And it's sort of like that's that's a stretch of what I just said because I'm trying to compare like you know strategy in the NPB to life, but I, I I think that's important as well, and you know that to me is a pretty cool thing because it just makes you feel good to remember you know those that came before you and how they did it because it does give us roots and it's just you know it's fun to come together like that and really recognize it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm glad you. Uh... Yeah, I'm glad you can appreciate that. And, and I mean, that's why I listen to your podcast and follow your Instagram, you know? That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it's such, like, the more I get into it, the more it's such a hard thing to explain because, like, I think I'm trying to think about it, like, in an even a deeper level. And I think right now, like, my thoughts, like, where I'm at in my life and with baseball, like, a lot of my thoughts exceed my vocabulary at the moment. But the best way I could really sum it up is like I feel a lot of love when it comes to baseball. And I like talking to people and connecting with people and sharing stories with people. And it's like everything that you do with japanball.com and like how the NPB handles things and how, you know, the Dominican Winter Leagues play. Like Jose Cruz played 17 straight seasons or 14 seasons in like Puerto Rican winter ball because he just loved the game. And when I'm able to connect with somebody like yourself that, you know, is an advocate for, you know, loving the game of baseball and looking at it beyond, you know, 90 feet to 90 feet on a diamond, I think that's huge. And I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. And hey, speaking of smoking cigarettes in Japan, they have like the smoking bus. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm talking about for the team. I'm talking about the team bus. And like, we had these guys on. Uh, we do like a recurring Zoom call. We had some former players on, and these guys played in like early 2000s, late 90s. So, yeah, I don't know if things have changed or not. Um, but you know, that was not that long ago. They're saying how um, they had two buses. One's for smokers. One for one's for non-smokers. One of them was saying he's at the All Star game, and there's all these veterans. Um, that were playing in the all-star game and they all have an ashtray in front of their locker and, uh, or down in the tunnel underneath the dugout. Like they had every player who smokes has a pack and a lighter 
that's <laughs> next awesome. to them. And awesome. so uh, that's, I think it, you'd, I knew you'd appreciate that. And oh, in Korea, yeah. they even, um, like they'll have, man, I, I don't want to see guys on my bounce. I don't know the specifics, but they have basically an extended inning break where um, it's basically a cigarette and tea break. And um, yeah. they'll like the, the umpires and the players and everything will go back down and, and, um, and, you know, just suck one down real quick because they got to get it in. And I remember I was at the world baseball classic and I was sitting next to the umpire supervisor who has his job, Larry Young, you may recognize him. He's a longtime big league umpire. And yeah. his job was to scout umpires around the world to umpire the WBC, oh, no which is kind of which is a cool job he had. And he oh, said, yeah. he said, Hey, look at the Korean ump. I bet you right around the seventh inning, he's going to start sweating and shaking. And, and was, that's right when, that's when they get their cigarette break in Korea. And we don't give them that here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. There's such an interesting and like gr- wonderful relationship with tobacco and baseball, you know, like I think of smoking a cigarette, of like, you know, my dad working hard, you know, roofing a house or something with a cigarette in his mouth and a black coffee that looks like 10W30 motor oil, you know, like it means something to me. And that's so funny to hear stuff like that. Charlie Huff yeah. would do that. Like in the 80s, he would smoke between innings. And then I think like in 88, baseball made it illegal to smoke in the dugout. So he'd have to like either sne- sneak a cig or like go in the tunnel and take a few puffs off a camel before he got back out. Dude, it's crazy stories with that 80s stuff. It's awesome. um, The last WBC, um, Jim Leland was the USA manager. And uh, I had this this responsibility of before every game, meeting with the manager and pitching coach and letting him know if there's pitch counts in WBC like there would be in, you know, like an amateur tournament or something. So I had to, like, make sure they knew per tournament rules, like who was available, how many pitches they had, et cetera. And – a handful of times we'd go down and we'd try to find Jim Leland to give him the sheets and the printouts and whatnot. <laughs> and he's always out having a cigarette break. <laughs> you could yeah. never find him. He's always out on the curb somewhere outside the stadium. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it. That's good stuff. Hey, man, we can wrap this thing up, though. Um, we're at an hour 24, and this is fun. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. That, that flew by, and... Um, yeah, I mean, I I know we kind of just focus on Japan, but I appreciate every everything you're doing to promote the game and kind of promote the good vibes around it and um, taking those deep dives and, and showing us these clips from back in it. You're doing the the dirty work for us, um, watching full games <laughs> from from the past decade, so you can just package it, package it up nicely for us. I actually I don't know if you if um, the one old school youtube game i watched recently was uh i was actually listening to theo epstein talk about he's you know he's tasked with modernizing the game or whatever making the changes to the game now so he was talking about how he was watching the 1975 world series and louis tiant pitching and um he's like he's doing this is like you know runners in scoring position um like seventh inning in the world series and he's throwing a pitch every eight seconds, you know, and, and doing his shimmy and he's got the, the swag. And he was oh, like, yeah. And he was like, everyone's got to look up that game on YouTube. And he's like, that's the time. He's like, I'm not trying to change baseball. I'm trying to restore baseball to that. And I was like, I got to watch this thing. And sure enough, like 
Oh man, that was fun watching Louis Tiant, 1975, just doing his thing and acting like he could be in the, you know, he's Cuban. He could be in the Cuban league, you know, doing this. He'd look exactly the same as he did in 1975 against the Reds, you know, against the big red machine. He's got like six Hall of Famers against him and he's just like, it ain't no thing. And uh, anyway, I know you were trying to wrap it up, but <laughs> dude, listen, he I was so like... cool on the mound. Like he'd do his little, yeah, his little shakes, his little shimmies. Like, and he had like an Ephus pitch that he would throw. I don't remember what they called it, but he could, uh, dude, he was phenomenal on the mound. Him and Nolan Ryan apparently had a game like in, like sometime in the eighties or seventies. I don't remember where each of them threw like two hundred and sixty pitches or something like that. Like those guys were gritty. And yeah, Tiant was the man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I do appreciate that. If you haven't watched that game, watch that. I think it might have been the Carlton Fisk game. I'm pretty um, sure it was. Because did you yeah, listen? He was. Yeah. Did you listen to like who? He was on somebody's podcast the other day. Theo Epstein was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah was, Whose podcast was it? Bill? What's I think that name? was um, Phil Simmons. That's his name. Yeah, I think it's probably Bill Simmons. Yeah, yeah. I listened to yeah. part of that. It's a pretty good podcast. But yeah, yeah, old YouTube games. I can get in a rabbit hole real quick because you find the funniest stuff. You know, you'll see clips of like fans smoking in the stands. If <laughs> I watched, oh god, I don't remember when it was, about a year ago or something, the uh, Disco Demolition game, and I think it was the White Sox playing the Indians or something like that. Yo, that game was crazy. They were lighting stuff up on the field. Harry Carey's up in the booth drinking beer. It was amazing. <laughs> but listen, awesome. so if um, japanball.com, Shane, thanks for being on the podcast. Listen, how can people find you on social media? You have an Instagram. Yeah, we have Instagram, <clears throat> Japan Ball Travel. Uh, we're on Facebook, Japan Ball. Um, we're on Twitter, at Japan Ball. Um, you, know, you can go to our site. You know, Like I said, everything is linked there. Um, I recommend if people are interested in and learning about what we're doing or maybe coming on a tour, you know, obviously you can follow us, follow us on any of those outlets, but I also recommend signing up for a newsletter um, via the website. Um, that's like a good way to keep informed about our tours and whatnot and in different activities we're doing. You know, we do, um, we do a, a monthly events with like former players and executives and stuff like that on, on, online that are all free and just, just trying to get people together to talk baseball and, and uh learn some stuff and, and have fun with like-minded people so um yeah sign up for our newsletter if you're into it otherwise yeah follow follow us on those sites <clears throat> check out our articles and whatnot at japanball.com we've been pumping out lots of articles kind of turned into more of a media company um over the past year or so without being able to do our tours so uh, a lot of fun stuff on there too yeah, and I hope you don't mind, man, that I made you talk about Japan Ball the whole time. I just liked I, – I didn't really know where the podcast was going to go, but I liked the idea of, like, what you were doing. And I just think it's, uh, you know, any time where, you know, people can come together and sort of talk about baseball on a more meaningful level, like, I think that's what I like most. And it seems like that's a lot of, you know, what you're doing. And, yeah, man, I think it's a cool thing. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't mind at all. I'm happy to. I mean, that's why I chose this line of work. You know, I'm happy to talk about it all day. So, and, and hopefully, some of your listeners are like-minded and I love to catch a ball game with them, and, and definitely with you too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think baseball brings people together in such a way, and I recognize it more so like as I get older, 
And I've said it a million times probably during this podcast, but like I'm thankful for like what the game has like done for me. You know, I don't make any money off. I've never been a major league baseball player. I don't make any money off the podcast. I just like talking to people, you know, and I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. And like, I think, you know, I don't really know what else to add to it other than I'm just very thankful and intrigued. And I sort of chase like that you know, deeper human connection when it comes to baseball, right? Like I like to be funny on the podcast. I like to smoke cigs and drink some booze, but at the end of the day, I just like talking to people about what they do, man. So Shane, thanks for being on the podcast. Don't hang up. I'm going to stop this thing because I always say this is a joke every time I have someone record, but I worry if you hang up that I'll lose my recording. So because <laughs> listen, I'm not a techie guy. This isn't a professional podcast. This is an NPR, but thanks for being on. Um, if you want to find Shane, he told you where to go, but I'll also put the links in this description of the podcast. But until next time, Shane, it's good talking to you. Thank you. Good talking right to on. you too. Have a good night, dude. You too.